Well, we are coming back. Uh, this is at least uh, my purpose is to finish up the subject of the new covenant this morning. Uh, we have we have spent uh, quite a number of, uh, of of our meditation hours in the last couple of months on the subject of God's covenants, and especially now we are concerned with the subject of the new covenant. We're going to hopefully finish that up this morning. So I want to <clears throat> begin just by reminding you of the uh, the various main truths that we have been considering about the new covenant. And I hope uh, as I go run through these in your mind, you say, yeah, I remember that one. Maybe you'll think of it even before I, before I say it. The first one uh, I mentioned is that the essential element of a covenant is an oath sworn promise. God makes promises. All of his promises are true, but for our benefit, God swears his promises. His promises are, uh, covenant promises are promises which are strengthened with an oath. And that's for our good. Uh, God uh, cannot lie. His, all of his promises and especially his covenant promises are true. Uh, well, one of the purposes of God's covenant, though this is why he swears, is because he wants to create the assurance of faith. We might say, well, we should not need anything more than God's bare word, and that's true enough. But it's our weakness, the weakness of our faith, that God addresses by his oath sworn promises. So that's his, his purpose in swearing his covenants. God's covenants are unilateral. Uh, that is, that God configures the covenant. He determines what the covenant is going to be and how it's going to function and how we receive it. It's, it's unilateral. God takes the initiative in his covenants. God's covenants uh, establish covenant communities. That was the, the fourth thing that we have seen thus far. God's covenants create and establish multi-general relationships between God and his people so that his people come to know him. That's uh, the fourth. The fifth thing is that God's covenants are interrelated. And I kept on saying it, and uh, one more time, Hopefully we'll bend the nail over for us. God's covenants are interrelated. And we see more of that this morning. God's covenants are interrelated. They are not identical. That is one of the things that uh, can be difficult to grasp. That we, we have a tendency to, there's a tendency to flatten God's covenants and to make them all identical. Uh, and they are interrelated, but they are not identical. The new covenant, uh, as, we've, as we've seen, we'll see a little bit more this morning, is a new covenant. It's a unique covenant. It's not like the covenants preceding it in that sense. God's covenants are progressively revealed. That's the sixth truth that we have been uh, considering. God's covenants are progressively revealed. God doesn't say everything at once. The new covenant does not start the Bible it's in the new covenant. And so he progressively reveals his covenants to his people. And uh, the, the covenants that he makes uh, gather, as it were, around them further revelation. As, as God covenants with his people, he grants them revelation before, telling them what is going to happen. And he uh, gives revelation after to interpret what he has done. That's God's, uh, God's covenants are 
progressively revealed. The seventh thing we saw is that all God's covenants are graciously redemptive. Now, there are those teachers and schools of theology which don't believe this. They don't believe that God's covenants are all graciously redemptive. They believe that some of them are not gracious at all. And uh, that's, that's simply not the teaching of God's word. And so we make a point of it. All God's covenants are graciously redemptive. God's covenants in the eighth place make demands on the covenant community. All of God's people have requirements to honor God by obedience. That's the fabric of God's relationship with his people. They make demands on the covenant community and they need God's grace to meet those demands. That's the eighth thing. And the last thing, all God's covenants point forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. From the very first covenant to the new covenant, they all point forward to Jesus Christ. The new covenant is all about the salvation that Christ has procured for us and established for us. And this is what makes the new covenant unique. The other, the previous covenants, starting from the Abrahamic and then the Mosaic and the Davidic covenants, uh, they all point forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. But in Christ, we have the substance of the things that were promised beforehand. Well, again, the new covenant, as we've seen, is prophesied in the Old Testament and the Old Testament, particularly in Jeremiah 31, uses this word about the new covenant. He calls it a new covenant. Um, and uh, we saw that the, the that word means something different than before. Uh, when uh, that word new is used in Exodus 1.8, a new king arose who didn't know Joseph. That's a, that's a different king. So it's not the same as before. In the New Testament, you have this statement about the covenant that it's a, a new covenant, and it's the kine diatheke. The, the word kine is that word new. It's spoken of as the, the tomb in which Jesus was laid. It was a new tomb, just made. So that this is uh, the, the adjective that describes the new covenant. That's what makes, that's what the new covenant is. It's, it's a new covenant, not the same, not a refurbished covenant, but it is a new covenant. And I, uh, again, I'm, I know I'm reviewing. We're going to come to new material in a moment. Um, I, the question is, what makes the new covenant new? And just to review, the very essence of the matter is that the mediator makes the covenant new and makes the covenant better. Jesus is our mediator, and he has received this ministry of a new covenant and that's what makes the new covenant new. Jesus, in one sense, we say God is the, the author of all of the previous covenants. That's true. But Jesus has a unique role in the new covenant. He's the mediator. He's the great high priest. And he does what the old covenant ceremonies could not do. The old covenant sacrifices could not make the worshipers perfect. But Jesus does by his sacrifice make us fit for the worship of God in a comprehensive sense. Then the second thing that makes the new covenant new is that the uh, constitution of the covenant makes the new covenant, the covenant community makes the new covenant new. Uh, there were Jew Gentiles saved under the old covenant. Uh, Rahab the harlot is uh, 
perhaps the most prominent one, you have Naaman the Syrian who was saved, uh, others, but um, in the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant was specifically for the seed of Abraham, and in the New Covenant, Gentiles are admitted, they are, they are received into the New Covenant as fellow heirs of the promise, and that's what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. We'll go back there for now, but uh, that makes a tremendous difference. The Gentiles heard the gospel as Paul went around the synagogues and preached, and when he said, you know, I go to the Gentiles, the Gentiles were greatly rejoicing because they were aware that they were outside of the Old Covenant. It didn't strictly make uh, provision for them. Uh, again, the promises make the covenant new. Jesus makes the covenant a new covenant, a unique covenant. The new covenant community, including Gentiles, makes it new. And the third place, the promises make the new covenant new. Uh, and the, the promises involved this, that there was a law, there was the law of God written on the heart. There were individual believers in the old covenant who had the law written on the heart, men like David, others, the, the prophets, they had the law of God written on their heart, but the community as a whole did not. They were not circumcised in their hearts. And I, I didn't get a chance to do this last time, so let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10. So I'll uh, open this up a little bit more than I was able to in prior lessons. Deuteronomy chapter 10. I'll start reading at verse 14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples as it is this day. So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no more. Here they are exhorted to circumcise their heart, not to live in the stubbornness of their heart and their unbelief, but they are called upon to circumcise. Now, in one sense, they can't do that. They can repent of their sins and they can look to God and they can ask him to help them. But here he intimates that they don't have a circumcised heart. Look over in chapter 30, Deuteronomy chapter 30. And look at verse 6. So here's another place in which God tells them that they need a circumcised heart. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. So God promises to circumcise their heart. The implication is that they have not yet as a community had their hearts circumcised. So that's the first thing that makes, that is the, the promise of the new covenant that makes the new covenant uh, better. It is the promise to have the law of God written on the heart. And uh, the difference between the old covenant community and the new covenant community 
is that all of the new covenant community have the law of God written on their hearts. They have a circumcised heart and they have the spirit of God. Uh, second thing, the second great promise of the new covenant that makes it unique is that the, the, uh, the people who are saved by our Savior have a genuine relationship with the triune God. A genuine relationship with the triune God. I put it that way. Uh, Jeremiah 31 makes that point uh, when he, God promises the, the new covenant to his people. And it's repeated in Hebrews chapter 8. Uh, God says, uh, I will be their God. They will be my people. They will have a genuine relationship with the living God. Um, and because of this, internal evangelism was the rule of the Old Covenant. That was, that was the promise made in Jeremiah 31, repeated in uh, Hebrews chapter 8. God said, you will, they will no longer say, every man to his neighbor, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. Internal evangelism was appropriate for the Old Covenant community. People could go around, when they came to worship, they would say, you need to know the Lord. But in the New Covenant, the difference is that by and large, God's covenant community know the Lord. They have a genuine relationship, an effective relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's part of the promise, one of the promises that, that make the New Covenant new and better. Now, the third thing that makes the New Covenant new and better is that the New Covenant community have the full forgiveness of sins because of the sacrifice of the mediator applied by the Holy Spirit. We have the full forgiveness of all of our sins because of what the Lord Jesus has done. And, uh, and the uh, Old Testament and the New Testament both uh, uh, make this point that the Old Testament sacrifices could never take away sins. I heard a man one time preaching on the internet. don't remember why I was looking at his sermon, but I was. And, uh, and he was saying that the sacrifices of the Old Testament were good enough for the people of God in the Old Testament. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins. That's why Jesus had to become a great high priest. And it is because of what he has done for us that our sins are completely forgiven um, I'm not going to turn there for time's sake, but I do want to. I do want to remind you of uh, of this point. The writer to Hebrews says that the priests who offered the sacrifices offered sacrifices which could never take away sins. And you might ask the question: Well, why did they go on offering the same sacrifices day, year after year, day after day? Why? Well. They were never done. The forgiveness of sins was never obtained. In fact, the writer to Hebrews says in those sacrifices, there was a reminder of sins year by year, you see. So that one of the functions of those sacrifices to, was to remind the people of their need of grace and to cause them to look forward to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we look forward in our redemption to the return of our Savior, but... Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, what are we doing? 
We're remembering his death until he comes. We're remembering that Jesus made the sacrifice, which really does cleanse away all of our sins. So there are times I know when as believers we sin and we are grieved and we are oppressed by the sense of our guilt. But we always have the remedy. We always have the remedy in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who really does cleanse away all of our sins. And that's why, again, in the, in the uh, promise of the new covenant, the Holy Spirit says, I will forgive all their sins. So there is forgiveness of sins. And that's what makes the new covenant a better covenant. I will make this one point. We're going to be getting to the scriptures in a minute. Um, I had that thought in my mind, it's not in my notes, and now it's gone. Okay. Oh, I, I know what it was. it was. It was the fact that the sacrifice of Christ made the provision for old covenant believers to be forgiven. His sacrifice was retroactive. That's why uh, the, the scriptures say that he was the... Lamb slain before the foundations of the world because even the sins of old covenant believers, people who were genuinely converted, were forgiven not really because of the sacrifices that the priests offered on the altar, but because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on their behalf as well as ours there. Okay. Well, there's one other thing that I want to point out um, that we haven't we haven't touched on at all, very little. We, we've considered the relationship between the new covenant and the old covenant, and that the the old covenant and all the previous covenants were not identical to the new covenant. The new covenant is unique. I know I keep on saying it. Uh, you'll hear teaching. Uh, if you if you listen to online sermons from time to time and you listen to certain people, they'll they won't understand this point that they they treat the covenants as uh, all identical and the new covenant in their mind is just a new administration of the old covenant. That's not what our Bible teaches. The new covenant is truly new. But here's something uh, that we need to keep in mind about the relationship between the covenants. There are things that tie the covenants together. The promises and the blessings of the previous covenants are included and improved in the new covenant. The promises and blessings of the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant in particular are included in the new covenant and improved. So they're not identical the new covenant is not identical to the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenant, but the promises of the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant are included and improved in the new covenant. Let me give you a couple of texts. So here's where we, here's where we touch on some material we haven't seen before. Look in Acts chapter 3, please. Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3. You have the healing of the man by Peter and John. And Peter 
begins to preach about what the significance of that healing was. I'm going to start reading in verse 25 of Acts chapter 3. What Peter has been doing after the healing of the, blank, blank, the lame beggar is he has told them that they should believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he exhorts them to do this, he underscores the relationship between the Abrahamic covenant and the new covenant. Let's start reading in um, verse 18. He says, But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, here's the tie-in to the Mosaic Covenant, Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet will be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days. Now here it is. Here it is. Look at this. Verse 25. It is you who are the sons of the prophet and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's the promise of the Abrahamic covenant. And what Peter is saying is that God is fulfilling that covenant in the salvation of those who are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. For you first, verse 26, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. So you sons of the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, but this is being fulfilled in the new covenant. It is being subsumed under the new covenant and it is being enlarged under the new covenant. Let's look at another passage in Acts 13. Acts chapter 13. Here the Apostle Paul is preaching in one of the synagogues. And he says, brethren, sons of Abraham's family and those among you who fear God. And that, by the way, those who fear God is the God-fearing Gentiles who were in the synagogues. He says, to us, this message of salvation has been sent for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. When they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross 
and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. <coughs> Excuse me. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. So here Paul is pointing back to the former promises which have been made by God in his prior covenants. We preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children, and that he raised up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. So, the law of Moses was inadequate for the salvation of people, the true salvation of people, but what God has accomplished in Jesus actually fulfills the old covenant promises, the Abrahamic promises, the Mosaic promises, the Davidic promises. This is a, a rich line of truth. Let me, let me turn you back to Acts chapter 3. We'll get a little bit more into it. Acts chapter 3. Peter is preaching after the healing of the lame beggar. I have trouble saying that. Um, and notice verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. So what is God doing? in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, many things, but one of the things he's doing is he's fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant. God made promises to Abraham, and God is fulfilling them in the new covenant. Um, the healing of the lame man resulted in the glorification of Jesus and the fulfilling, the accomplishment of promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The new covenant fulfills those promises of the in the better covenant of the new covenant, the better promises of the new covenant. That's, uh, well, no, my time is almost gone. Uh, let me commend to you Romans chapter 4, and particularly the timing of the circumcision of Abraham. You're familiar with that, that the writer uh, argues about, is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not God, the God of the Gentiles? And he says, he's the God of the Gentiles also. How do we know? 
He says, because of the timing of Abraham's circumcision. Abraham was justified before he was circumcised. And that very detail, the timing of Abraham's circumcision, shows that Abraham is the father of Gentiles as well as Jews. But where does that come to be realized? Where does that come to be uh, effective in the lives of the New Covenant community? It's in the sense of the New Covenant. The New Covenant thus includes and exceeds the promises of the Abrahamic Covenant. There are other passages we could look at as well. So, brethren, one of the things that we can do when we pray is plead God's new covenant promises for the salvation of Jews and the salvation of Gentiles. Have you ever wondered how do I how do I best minister? How do I bring the gospel to Jews as well as Gentiles? First by praying. First by pleading God's promises. Bringing to God his promises to save both Jews and Gentiles, because that's the that's the pattern in Acts uh, again and again, that the gospel goes to the Jews and the gospel goes to the Gentiles. And both of them enjoy the blessings of the new covenant by the proclamation of the gospel. That, I think sometimes when you read the book of Acts, it's easy to pass over those things, but it's, it's there in the book of Acts. And the last thing we should be thankful, again, I have said this before, but it bears repeating, we should be very thankful that we are under the new covenant. Gentiles, I don't know of any any Jewish blood here in city view, perhaps there's some, but we're primarily Gentiles and we are included because of the new covenant, the promises of the new covenant that the grace of Jesus would be spread to all the nations. In you and in your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that's, that's who we are. Let's give thanks. Amen. So, Father, we do give you thanks. Thank you for your holy word, that rich treasure of gospel truth. We thank you, Lord, for all you have taught us. We pray you would continue to teach us, Lord. We need, we need you to teach us more that our hearts may be raised to new heights in the contemplation of what you have done for us in our Savior. We pray you would continue to glorify his name for the salvation of many Jews and Gentiles. We ask it through Jesus' own name. Amen.